Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, And should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we are delighted to be able to read it and to study it. Would you please be with us by your spirit? Be in, with me as I speak. Be with us as we hear it. Help us to submit ourselves to it. Help us to hear your voice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. They say that uh, the opening sentence to any story is perhaps the most important sentence of the entire story. 
and say that some publishers won't even read beyond the first sentence if the first sentence is a bad one. The first sentence is necessary to set the tone and the, the mood of the story. It is important to draw in the readers into uh, the story to catch their attention. And uh, we know this from most of the stories that we read. Uh, even the cliche uh, beginnings of stories can signal something to us as uh, we begin to read a story. If some, we picked up a, a story or somebody started reading and said, long, long ago in a land far, far away, we immediately know that there is some kind of fairy tale that is about to ensue. Or even more striking is the utterly cliche st uh, beginning, it was a dark and stormy night. Uh, setting a dark and foreboding beginning to the story. And uh, for those of us who know the book of Ruth, there is a bit of a fairy tale ending to this story. But from this very beginning, this very compact statement, we should see something that was a bit more dark and foreboding than um, uh, a fairy tale. Um, because the, the author begins by saying it was in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. And if we know our biblical history, we know that the days when the judges ruled was a dark time in the land of Israel. That God had been faithful to his people. He had called the people to himself. He had revealed himself to them. He had rescued them out of the land of Egypt. He had brought them into the promised land. He had conquered the promised land. And then the very next generation fell away from the Lord. Uh, the, the book of Judges says that Israel had no king during that time. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's not good news for a people who are under the authority and the kingship of our God. And so it was a dark time in that land. And then it says that and there, was a, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. And part of God's covenant, when he rescued his people out of Egypt and he gave them the covenant, what we just talked about from the book of Deuteronomy is God had promised them, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will bless you. Submit to me, obey me, love me with all of your heart. And he says, if you do, I will shower blessing upon blessing. I will protect you. I will provide for you. You will be bountiful. He says, but if you turn on me, if you turn on me, I will turn on you. You will go into captivity. You will suffer. And one of those sufferings is a famine. What he promised famine for his people. He said the, the ground will be hard. The, the sky will be bronze. You will be hungry. And uh, so when we see these, these compact words, we know that this is a, a dark time in the land of Israel. And it's on... Uh, and we see the storm clouds of God's displeasure for his people. And those things were intended to soften the hearts of God's people, to remind them to return to him and to find that blessing. But it's at that point that we see the introduction of our first characters. It says, there's a man of Bethlehem, of Judah, who goes to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we have Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. And it says that they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, again, that's, that's bad news. 
Because if you remember what God has promised to his people, part of what he had promised them was he said, I will give you this land. The, the land that they went in, the, the promised land that Moses led them up to, that Joshua took them into, that they conquered. And he said, this is the land that's flowing with milk and honey. This is, this is the land I give to you. This is the place of blessing. This is where I will put my presence and where I am planting you. But at the first sign of famine, at the first sign of God's displeasure, his cursing, their response is to go to Moab. Moab, which is an enemy of God's people. Moab, who had uh, refused to welcome the Israelites as they were wandering, as they were in need, and they became one of the sworn enemies of Israel. And they choose to go to Moab because Moab's got food. So let's go. So Elimelech and his family, they make the pragmatic choice. Let's go leave the land that the Lord has given us. Let's go find food. And it's, uh, there's irony in what's going on too because Elimelech, his name is Elimelech, my God is king, or God is my king. And he is demonstrating anything other than God being his king. He's not submitting to, he's not repenting of his sin. He's not praying for the people of Israel. He's not honoring God. He is making his stomach his king. His, he is his own king and pursuing comfort somewhere else. And I wonder, um, when God, God has given us his law, God has um, promised to be zealous for our holiness. And at times where God leaves us in the midst of our sin to suffer for a time that we might come to our senses. I wonder how much uh, you respond to that. Or do you tend to run and look for better pastures somewhere else? Take matters into your own hands. Follow the pragmatic path, uh, path to uh, find the blessing that you want. Um, there's great grace in discipline and I don't know that we see that. I think we, we tend to recognize that, and we rightly say that God is good and loving and uh, he, he loves us. He's pouring out his blessing. But how often do we see discipline or correction as something that's a true grace for us? Um, I mean, you see it in, in our kids. Kids don't want to be disciplined. Neither do we. We, we tend to run and we try, tend to hide. Uh, and that's what Elimelech and his family were doing. They were, they were looking to get out of the situation rather than to submit to the Lord's discipline. And it should, what follows in, a, in their life should be instructive for us as well, for the, the path that sin follows. So they, they went to Moab just to find some food, which seems so innocent. But then it says in verse 2 that they went and then they remained there. So they, they took up shop. They planted some roots. And then Elimelech dies and Naomi is left with her two sons. And so now, now Naomi is the matriarch and she could have made the decision at that point, hey, maybe we should go back. But that's not what happens either. 
It says, these took Moabite wives. And the name of one was Orpah. That's not Oprah, it's Orpah. And the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. So again, the, the fact that they took Moabite wives is further evidence of where their hearts are. They had been told, do not intermarry with the other nations. Those nations, their wives will lead your hearts astray to follow their gods. And specifically, the Moabites. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Lord said, do not seek the peace and prosperity of Moab all of the days of your life, forever. And here they're not just living there, they're marrying and they're remaining for about 10 years. And then James, chap, uh, James in the New Testament says that when sin ha when has fully uh, given birth, it leads to death. That quite literally is what happened here with this family. The two sons, Malon and Chilion, died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And at this point, it's hard for us to see it, but we can't fail to see how desperate was her situation, Naomi's situation. A woman in that day didn't just go to find a job to provide for herself and pick herself up by the bootstraps. She was wholly dependent upon her husband or some other man, but she was a widow. She was a widow, and she didn't have any sons. She was an older woman, probably, probably past menopause. The, with the inability to have sons, her, her sons were no longer there. She was a foreigner living in enemy territory. She literally had nothing. She was destitute. She was alone. She was hopeless. And she had been on the run for 10 years away from the presence of the Lord, and the Lord had brought her to rock bottom. Rock bottom. And she really had nowhere to turn, except perhaps to go back to Israel. Now, uh, throughout the Old Testament, there, the word return is a special term. It's not, it doesn't just mean like go back, but it also can be synonymous with repentance. Um, and a necessary part of repentance is stopping in your tracks, turning back and running back to the Lord who has called you to be his. And Naomi begins the process of repentance. She begins this returning process. It's a defining act. And yet her heart is not yet in it. And when we look at this, we, we know that she's about to return to Israel we can rejoice because God, God reveals himself in such a way that he will rescue his people. Make no mistake about it. If you are his, he loves you. He will not let you wander so far that he can't find you. There's no place where you can run from our God. She couldn't, they couldn't run to enemy, country, enemy territory without the Lord seeking them out and bringing them back. And there's, there's no escaping the grace of our God. He will track you down, and he will find you. And that's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. Because um, even in the midst of the frown of God's providence at times, we know that, he, that the only place 
that we can find the joy and the peace and the safety is in God's presence. Naomi needed to be in God's presence. And that at that particular time was in the nation of Israel. And so God's seeking and even his discipline and his correction is an act of love. It's an act of love. And so we ought to praise our God for his mighty and his persistent grace in reclaiming wayward sinners. But on the on the other hand, we, knowing our hearts, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because we have a tendency to take God's grace for granted. I mean, we can look at this passage and we say, well, if I'm the Lord's, he's not going to let me run away, so I could really do whatever I want, and at the right time, God will save me, and everything is going to be good. And that's true to a point. That's true to a point. But God is revealing how he does that. How is he doing that? He's, he, is, um, he is stripping Naomi of everything that is dear to her, bringing her to a point of utter despair in order to turn her around, uh, re- removing everything that hinders her from being in God's presence. And we would be wise to submit to God's tender and gentle overtures of love rather than the stern hand of his discipline. He will rescue us, but he is beckoning us with tenderness. We should return. But not, not only that, we, we can easily look at Naomi and fail to see Elimelech and her two sons. Not everybody made it back alive. Some fell in their rebellion and didn't make it back to the promised land. And so that ought to be a warning for us that God is, and a reminder that God is gracious, but he is also holy. He is tender, but our God is also a consuming fire. We cannot take the grace of God for granted. And Naomi, even in this point, Naomi is brought low, and yet she's not to the point of humble submission to our God. And how do we know that? Well, it says, well, she rose with her daughter-in-law to return because she heard that there was food. It says that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. God had remembered his people, remembered his love for them, and he had given them food. The famine was over. And so they set out for that place. And Naomi says, um, go. Uh, you, 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 don't, you shouldn't come back with me. Um, she, Naomi is focused on the, the temporal blessings of his, her daughters. Now, she's, she's caring about her daughters, but she knows that her daughters, the number one thing that her daughters need right now, in her mind, is husbands. That's the only way that they can be provided for. And so she says, go, go, go back and, and find find husbands back in Moab. She's got no concern for their spiritual health. No, no real devotion to, uh, Naomi has no devotion to her own God, to Yahweh, to say, yes, you can come with me and be part of the covenant community when I return to Bethlehem. No, she says, go uh, find husbands, find husbands. And they, they object. They say, no, we'll return with you. Um, and then and then she says, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, girls. 
Look at, look at me. I'm, I'm an old woman. I don't, I don't have a husband. I don't have, I don't have sons in my wombs. I, I've got nothing to give to you. I've got nothing to give to you. Like if I, if I had hope that I had a, a man tonight and I had, I got pregnant tonight and it happened to be twins and they happened to be boys, are you even going to wait until they're mature enough to be your husbands? Ridiculous. It's absolute foolishness. Go back and find a husband. Um, and, and she, she utters this, um, this blessing to her, to these, these girls, uh, which is kind of a bittersweet blessing. She says to them, um, the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the, the house of, uh, her husband. And even before that, she said, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That, that, that may the Lord deal kindly with you. That's that same uh, love that God expresses to his people, that chesed, covenantal love that he enters into, this kindness. And it's remarkable because she, Naomi, is turning to her daughters and she says, you girls, you've been so kind to me. You've been so kind to me and may the Lord show you that same kindness that you have shown to me. And so there's a, there's a couple things that are interesting there because she's offering this bittersweet blessing she's she's saying i've got nothing to give so may the lord bless you even though you're these foreigners even though the lord says moab gets nothing may the lord give you his love but secondly she she's saying may you may you receive that love because of that the fact that you have shown that love to me in fact as a pattern of that love that you have shown to me and to your husbands. And I wonder uh, how comfortable we would be, how comfortable would you be, if somebody were to bless you by saying, may the Lord love you the way that you have loved. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. <laughs> and the Lord, it's, it's kind of a turning of many of the things that we see in Scripture. I mean, we're, we're told to do to others as we would have them do to us. We were told to love our enemies as, as our God loves. We're told to uh, love our neighbors ourselves. But this is like a turning, uh, a turning around where he's saying, may, may God love you as you have loved. And praise God, beloved, our our God loves even far more abundantly than that. That our love for God, or God's love for us, far exceeds that. Um, scripture is clear that, that love is not that we loved, but that God loved us and he sent his son. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God's love is far more than we could even imagine, let alone practice. He lavishes it on us and his grace. And so it's not dependent upon how we do. And yet Naomi offers that blessing for her daughters with this pragmatic um, request, turn back. And then we see the heart of where Naomi is at this particular point. She says, um, verse 13, Would you therefore wait until these boys were grown? If I were to have these boys, would you therefore refrain from marrying? She says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Exceedingly bitter. And what she's saying is, 
She says, not only do I have nothing to give you, but I am cursed. I am poison. Get away from me. I've got nothing for you. Literally, the hand of the Lord has attacked me. He has gone and he has has brought me low. You want to get as far away from me as you can. Return. Find somebody else. And it says, they lift up their voices again and wept. And Orpah listens to her mother's advice. That sounds like a good idea. She kisses her mother and leaves. And we don't, Scripture doesn't condemn her for this. We don't know what happened with Orpah. She may have received the blessing that Naomi imparted upon her. We just, it's left to our imagination. But it says, and Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. And the amount of devotion that Ruth has in mind, that her love for Naomi is expressed in this, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, where Naomi says, look at your sister-in-law. She's made the wise choice. Follow after her. Go. And Ruth says, don't. Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. She is willing to have total, absolute, enduring devotion to her mother-in-law. She says, I will forsake everything I know to go where you go and to lodge where you lodge. I will forsake all of my people, the nation of Moab, all my friends, all my family, to be a foreigner in with you, with your people, the people of Israel. I will forsake my gods, all that I've worshipped, the gods of Moab, to worship your God, to make Yahweh her God. And she makes this lifelong commitment that Ruth is saying, my devotion to you will extend even beyond your life. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried. And then she makes this, this statement that is echoing a covenant promise. She says, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Probably putting her hand across her neck saying, may the Lord do this to me if I do not uphold this promise for you. It's a beautiful act of devotion. And it's fair for us to ask, what did Ruth even think that she was getting herself into? Because, yes, she had lived with this family for over 10 years, but Naomi and her family were nominal Israelites at best, They had chosen to run away from the presence of the Lord. They had chosen to intermarry with Moabite people. Their hearts were not devoted to the Lord. And even now, Naomi is angry at what God has done to her. But beloved, understand this, that when we are in Christ Jesus, even at our worst, Scripture is clear that we bear the aroma of Christ. 
we bear the aroma of Christ. And that aroma of Christ is the aroma of death to those who are perishing, but the aroma of life to those who are being saved. And Ruth, I believe, is attracted to that. Even Naomi, in the hardness of her heart and the bitterness and her anguish, is still reflecting the union that she has with her God. And yet, at this point, even in the midst of this beautiful statement, in the midst of this devotion from Ruth, everything that's going on, Naomi's got no joy. Ruth is leaving all that she has to be with Naomi forever and ever in a strange land, doing it for her. And what does it say? It says, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Not praise God, not thank you for your love. She just stopped talking and kept walking. And then they come to Bethlehem. And the, the heart of Naomi is revealed completely. It says, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem, they walk in, and the whole town is stirred. And the women say, is this Naomi, this young woman who left with her husband and her two sons has now come back haggard and she's got a foreign woman in tow. No husband, no sons. Is this Naomi? And Naomi's response through clenched teeth is, do not call me pleasant. That's what Naomi means. Call me bitter. Which is what Mara means. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She went away full, and she came back empty. And beloved, I think as we kind of reflect on this passage, there's really just two things, additional things that I think we really can't fail to see. We need to see. And the first is that the Lord is zealous for you. The Lord is zealous for your heart. The Lord is zealous for your devotion. And he will go to any length to rescue you and to bring you back. He is not concerned about giving you an easy life in this life. If that easy life is getting in the way of your devotion to him, he desires for your holiness, for your purity. He desires your heart. He wants you to be looking at him with full eyes of love and adoration for the grace that he's extended to you. And so if you have experienced calamity that the Lord has brought about in his providence, Can you see it through the eyes of God's tender discipline for you? His attempt to rescue you for himself. Is there something that your heart is entangled in that he wants to free you of and that you need to let go of? And we need to recognize that this is a gift that God gives to his children and only to his children. Scripture is clear that the wicked in this life, those who are apart from the grace of God, will often experience the blessings of this life. Will often experience the good things. 
while God's people suffer. And Psalm 73 is really helpful and instructive with this. It's one of my favorite psalms. And the psalmist says, I was envious of the wicked when I saw that they have no pangs, no, no hurt. You know, they have all blessing upon blessing. And maybe this is the way that God blesses and shows his grace to those who are perishing, that he gives them the good things in this life. Well, he gives us hope for something far greater. But the psalmist says, I almost slipped. I almost fell into that path until I recognized their end, that they will be utterly destroyed in a moment. And we ought to do the same, but we also ought to remember how we have been promised blessings forevermore in the presence of our God, that he is, he is promised to lavish on us blessing upon blessing in himself, in his Son, and that is an eternal blessing as long as we remain in him, as long as we return to him. And so if reading through this story, you see a lot of yourself in Naomi, that bitterness in your life circumstances or frustration about how God has dealt with you as he's sought to reclaim your heart, then I implore you to repent of your bitterness and to return to him and to thank him for his redeeming grace for you. Praise him that he loves you enough to, to, to woo you back. To woo you back. But if you've never known the Lord Jesus Christ and your life has been pretty darn good and you're happy with your life, then my exhortation to you would be recognize that the blessings of this life are fleeting. They'll be gone in a moment. But the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus are eternal. And so seek him while he be, will be found, even if it means forsaking the good things. But the, uh, So that's, that's the one thing we need to take away. I would say the other thing that we need to see is that the that we, as the members of Christ's body, just like Naomi, we as members of the Christ's body have been given the only source of joy and blessing in this world. Naomi, in her worst, was a member of God's covenant community, and Ruth was attracted to it because the Lord had put that attraction in her. And... Um, Beloved, we live in a world of Moabites. And you may feel like you don't have anything to give. That there may be other people who are more qualified to speak to unbelievers, your friends, your neighbors, you know, whoever, that you don't have the right words, you don't have the right uh, courage to, to be salt and light. But Scripture is clear. You are salt and light in the Lord. If you are in Christ Jesus, he has put his spirit in you, and you are the point of contact with the unbelieving world. And so the Moabites that are in your life, you have everything to give them because you have Christ Jesus. And that is the only hope that we have for salvation. That is the only hope that we have for any kind of blessing. And that's why we make such a big deal about growing 
in our love for the Lord Jesus and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus and our knowledge of God's word so that we can speak it. That's why we focus on trying to be able to say it to each other and in our homes and so that it ekes out of us and we live it out in front of a watching world. Beloved, God has put us there to be that light. And we have to be that light. And yes, there will be those who reject it or ignore it or don't care. But beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected and he was ignored. And as we read in one of our passages, it was, you know, Jesus saw people fleeing from him because they didn't like what he had to say. And he said, you know, where are you going to go to? And, he, and his disciples got it. They said, well, where are we going to go? What else, what else is there? You have the words of eternal life. And beloved, we have been given the words of eternal life. Those words are ours now. We own those as members of his body. So we need to speak those words. We need to live those words. May God be glorified through it. Well, beloved, this chapter 1 is a picture of the bitter rescue of our God. Naomi left full, but she returned empty. But it's at the end, we can't miss this. There's a hint. There's a hint of his redeeming grace and joy that is coming. Because it says they returned, and it's almost like he says, and they just so happened to come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They just so happened to come at the beginning of barley harvest. And the barley harvest, the harvest time, was a time of singing and dancing and joy because God had provided for them. He had given to them when they were at the end of a famine, but they, there was now singing and dancing. And so we can't miss God's grace and his joy, even in the midst of the pain. Naomi doesn't see it yet, but she will. Lord Jesus Christ said that in heaven, there is more rejoicing when one sinner repents. When one sinner repents. And Naomi, even in the midst of her bitterness and anger, she has begun the process of repentance. She has returned. She has come back. And she is contending with the Lord, and yet heaven is rejoicing because she just so happened to come back at the time when everyone would be singing and rejoicing. Oh, beloved, even for you and for me, in the midst of our hardness of our heart, when God rescues us, there is hope for us. There is hope for us when we return, not because of anything good in you or in me, but because of his strong and mighty redeeming love. Beloved, praise be to God. He loves you and he loves me. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us that you would seek and save us even by the hand of your son and that you've given us your love and you've given us the ability to seek and uh, pursue after wayward sinners. Father, help us to do that with uh, hearts full of joy in all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.